He's just a minor player in our society. Now, the activist in me wants to do something about it. I want to get out there, and I want to sort it all out and get going. And yet, I think that's completely missing the point because, for me, these stats are like some sort of prophet coming down from on high, and that prophet is saying, look how it is. You've got to pray about it. This is a call to prayer. It's not about doing stuff, because the church is great at doing stuff. It's about praying uh, and coming back to God and seeking him and seeking his heart and finding out what to do first and foremost by praying. We are being called. These statistics are calling us to get out there and to pray. But this seems such a hard thing to do because... There seems to be lots of agendas about what does the church need. So where do you start? How do you start to pray? I was uh, reading an article this week which simply stated, prayer is easier than we think. Well, that's good news. Uh, We want to think it's too hard or too high or too holy for us because that gives us an excuse for not doing it. This is false humility. We can all do it. Even the most sinful, shallow, silly and stupid of us. You do not have to master some mystical method. You don't have to master any method at all. Can you talk to a friend, this article says. Then, if you can speak to a friend, then you can talk to God, for he is your friend. And that's what prayer is. The single most important piece of advice about prayer is one word. Begin. So that's what we're going to do. We start by beginning right now. And this is the reason why, as Dave has already said, uh, we will be talking about prayer a lot on the run-up to, uh, to Christmas, to Easter. It might be till Christmas, you wait. It could, it's simply prayer, that's what's on our agenda. And we're going to look at people in the Bible who prayed. Some of the people we're looking at who prayed were complete experts at it. We've got the experts today, we've got Jesus, so that's pretty good news. We're starting off at the top. But most people weren't experts. Some people were able to pray all the time. Most were just learning. Some of the prayers we'll look at were prayed out of joy. Some were out of confusion. Some were cries of help. Others were cries of shame. Some was just simple cries of anguish or expressing deep pain. Some of the prayers were full of power and changed things. And some didn't involve words at all. Yet all of what we're going to look at were prayers. All were engagement with God. All were real. And I'm hoping there'll be a real and marked inspiration for us as we work out our own voice of prayer. And as we get going, I just need to say a few things about prayer so we don't get overly pumped up or spiritual because I know prayer makes us over-spiritual. We need to just be careful about that. Because I need to say there's nothing particularly uh, special or spiritual about prayer. Prayer is a completely normal thing. To make it extra spiritual is to miss the point, to make it inaccessible, to make it something which only certain people uh, can do, is nothing like what Jesus wants. Because prayer is completely ordinary. If you think about it, prayer is an activity which most human beings are naturally drawn to. Unless you're a complete and utter atheist, most human beings will secretly be praying invisibly, maybe unwittingly, often uninformed, often deep down just for their basest needs. Maybe some of the prayers are with the wrong motives or with a shaky understanding. 
that part of what makes us human beings is that we have some kind of prayer language. Tim Keller says, prayer is a global phenomenon. And if you think about it, the great monotheistic religions of Islam, Judaism, Christianity, prayer is at the heart of what it means to believe and to have faith. And it spreads too right across the Eastern religions. Prayer is everywhere. Way back uh, 500 years ago, John Owen noted that the natural impulse to pray is present in all people, that it is original in the law of nature and a natural, necessary, fundamental acknowledgement of that. Prayer is part of the human experience. It's something we all hold in common. It's what we do. There's nothing odd or strange in praying. In fact, it's strange or odd if you don't pray. I don't know about you, but the last couple of weeks of my life have been full of David Bowie music. I was so shocked to hear he died. It's one of those moments. I remember when Elvis died. I remember when John Lennon died. And David Bowie is sort of up there. And uh, one of the key benefits is that his music has been all over the place, on the radio. Rediscovery of those uh, weird and wonderful Bowie tracks has entered my uh, life again. Now... David Bowie did many incredible things in his career. And for me, one thing which stands out was when, in the middle of Freddie Mercury's tribute concert at Wembley, he knelt in front of 72,000 fans and he started to pray the Lord's Prayer. In fact, he prayed all of the Lord's Prayer, literally between songs in front of millions of people on the telly as well. Bowie knelt down and said he wanted to remember those who had died or who were ill and he simply prayed, Our Father, who art in heaven. And afterwards he said, I decided to do it about five minutes before I went on stage. I had a friend called Craig who was dying of AIDS. He was just dropping into a coma that day. And just before I went on stage, something just told me to say the Lord's Prayer. And he went on just talking about music in general. He said, in rock music, especially in the performance arena, there is no room for prayer. But I think that so many of the songs people write are prayers. A lot of my songs to be prayers for, the uni for unity within myself. On a personal level, I have an undying belief in God's existence. Bowie, when uncertain what to do or say, he prayed. And uncertainty drew him to pray because deep down in his being, that is all he could summon up. His humanity led him to pray. Praying is completely normal. But despite it being normal and human, despite it coming from the very depths of what it means to be human, prayer is often the last thing in us. Sometimes we only do it when we're at our wit's end. It can be hard to do. And in our passage, uh, Luke's uh, Gospel, chapter 11, verses 1 to 4 this morning, this difficulty is emphasised by the, the disciples. Now, let's face it, the disciples have had a very bad press often when we preach about them in the Gospels. They often look like fools. But the reality is, these were some of the most up-for-it Christians, Christ followers, that they were. These were top-quality people chosen by Jesus. And they recognized that their prayer life wasn't in the place where it should be. So they said to Jesus, quite simply, teach us to pray. Now, these disciples would have known how to pray because it was part of their culture. They would have prayed all the time. 
that they recognized in Jesus there was something completely different about the way he prayed. There was something in Jesus which, after he prayed, was different. There was a different quality to his prayers. There was some power to his prayers. There was something about him which changed as as he prayed. And the disciples certainly equated this with Jesus' prayer life. Jesus had an edge to his prayers, and they thought, we want a bit of it. And this request for training was granted by Jesus, and he quite simply gave them the most famous prayer at all. So famous that it was the prayer that David Bowie chose to pray all those years ago. And so famous, or maybe infamous now, that it makes the news today, as you might remember just before Christmas, all the cinemas in England, that Church of England uh, advert, which was quite simply people praying the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer still has power. And so Jesus gives them this prayer. One thing to be clear of, this prayer is a model prayer. This means it's not just meant to be said by rote, i.e. rattling through it, as actually we often do just in our worship events. We just, just pray through the Lord's Prayer. We don't really think through it. Well, you probably do. I'm just admitting my inability here. But the Lord's Prayer is meant to be reflected on. The Lord's Prayer is meant to be taken time over and to inspire our imaginations. That's why Jesus gave it to us. This is a model for prayer. Martin Luther, who 500 years or so ago, suggested that you should pray this prayer for at least seven minutes a day. You should spend seven minutes over praying this prayer. Prayer. I don't know how you'd have known seven minutes all those years ago, but they obviously had a way, some dials or something. But, um, and he, it is said, he would have often have had spent three hours over the Lord's Prayer. When he came out after praying, he shone apparently. He was a completely uh, different person. However, it must be said, we often don't pray it like that. Tim Keller again said, the Lord's Prayer may be the single set of words spoken more often than any other in the history of the world. Jesus Christ gave it to us as the key to unlock all the riches of prayer. Yet it is an untapped resource, partly because it's so familiar. And you know, I suppose my hope and prayers for this sermon series is that actually throughout it we unlock prayer, but we unlock this Lord's Prayer. We do tap into it. We do go beyond its familiarity and create much deeper and richer prayer lives. All the heroes of church history prayed the Lord's Prayer. Some of the greatest Christian thinkers um, across the generation would say the Lord's Prayer is their inspiration. Every great movement of the church has had the Lord's Prayer at its heart, and the Lord's Prayer is often at the heart of any revival or transformation movement. The Lord's Prayer is powerful and significant, and yet we reduce it to rattling through it and ignore what it's asking of us or what it's revealing to us, and we somehow don't get emotionally involved in it. I reckon that if each of us took Martin Luther's advice and prayed this prayer, and took seven minutes over it every day, I reckon by Easter time, we would be a transformed group of people. I dare you to do it. I want to see at Easter, come and speak to me at Easter if you've done this Lord's Prayer thing, and tell me if it's made any difference at all in your life. I reckon 
you find that you're transformed by God's love, God's power, and God's glory. And I reckon we'll find our world start to change and our worldview start to change, and we will know and experience God in a much deeper way. There is a secret in this prayer. Tom Wright uh, says the Lord's Prayer was intended by Jesus to bind his followers closely to the agenda of his whole ministry. In other words, the Lord's Prayer puts us on God's agenda. It gives us the heart of Jesus and prayed through carefully and with intention, which is what Jesus wanted. It moves our imaginations and our emotions to a place where God simply is. And in verse 2, Jesus starts the prayer simply, and he just says, Father, simply put, prayer is this conversation, a conversation with God. However, as Keller again points out, conversations can remain mere exchanges of information that do not lead to true personal encounter and relationship. And that is not what prayer is about, that kind of conversation. Jesus is emphasizing something very significant and vital which runs to the heart of Christianity. We can have a personal encounter and more significantly, an ongoing relationship with God. And this prayer is that invitation to enter into that relationship, to enter into the very presence of God. Jesus had this unique relationship with God and he offers it to those who follow him. The Lord's Prayer invites us to know God deeply and to know him personally. In his model of prayer, Jesus starts by simply reflecting on our relationship with God. To sit in his presence. To be with the perfect Father. And I know and I understand and I empathize that some of us find this idea of Father hard. But what Jesus is saying really is we can really know God, experience him, his love for us is close at hand. His acceptance of who we are and what we're about is just there. His presence can be experienced. His wisdom and care and thought and companionship are part of the reality of what it means to believe and have faith and follow him. There's a a worship song. We sang it last week. It's a new one. It just simply says, he's a good, good father. He's a good, good father. That's who he is. That's who he is. And Jesus invites people who pray this prayer to take time and be in his presence and know that we are loved. Know that we are worthy enough. Know that it's all about God and not just about me. Know that you are significant enough to experience God. Know that he is there. God is just there waiting for you, longing for you. You can be fully in God's presence. God is fully yours. In prayer. That's quite a familiar approach to God. And it's not just about familiarity, though, because there's mystery, too. Uh, as Jesus goes on, he, he, he simply says, Father, hallowed be your name. Hallowed simply means let God be treated as holy. God is perfect, God is set apart, God is powerful, and let God be treated as such. He is more than a friend. He is powerful and to be honoured. God is not somebody 
to be treated lightly. Often I hear people talk about their prayers and it's, it's as if God wouldn't do this for me or God wouldn't do that for me. It's as if they've made God into a kind of servant who runs around the house and does all the catering for you and all the tidying up and all this and that. And if you have a bad time, well, it's all God's fault. And they make God this sort of slave. And to me, I don't think that's prayer at all. If we're expecting God to do exactly what we ask him, where is the relationship in here? God is immensely holy. And the way Jesus says this prayer, it's as if there's a plea that everyone treats God as holy. This is a prayer for our world that it would know the holiness and wonder and awesomeness of God. It's a prayer that everyone would be caught up in the mystery of who is God. I like this idea that somebody has suggested. Uh, When we pray, he says, hallowed be your name, it's a pledge to be accountable to that name. So this is a chance for us to reflect that we are God's and he is ours. And we want our lives in the way we behave and in the way we conduct our relationships and the way we go about our business to honour him, to point others to God who is hallowed and to bring others to God. It's like an evangelistic thing. We want others to see God through us. We don't want to be people who put people off God, but we want to bring people to God. God is fantastic. He's hallowed. And as we pray this, we want, we're saying we want everyone to know this. And have you noticed how Jesus has started off this prayer? He started his prayer off by focusing on God. He encourages those who dare to pray this prayer to God, to come into God's presence by simply reflecting on God. To move away from thinking about me, me, me all the time and myself and what I can do and all my problems. It's to move away from that and to just simply sit there and pray there, worshipping and thinking about God and who he is. To remember who he is and what he's about. To remind ourselves it is God and not just me. It's about taking time to relate, to think, to honour, to thank, to simply be in God's presence. And as he thinks on God, Jesus moves on and he starts quite naturally, because it follows on, to think about the kingdom. He just says, your kingdom come. The Lord's Prayer is often called the kingdom of prayer. It's a prayer asking for God's kingdom, rule and values to be part of our everyday reality. Tom Wright says this, to pray your kingdom come at Jesus' bidding, therefore meant to align oneself with his kingdom movement and to seek God's power in furthering its ultimate fulfillment. It meant adding one's own prayer to the total performance of Jesus' agenda. It meant celebrating in the presence of God the fact that the kingdom was already breaking in and looking eagerly for its consummation. The Lord's Prayer recognises we're part of a now and not yet kingdom, that all the power and majesty of God are here in the here and now, but also we're still hoping and waiting for all the power and majesty of God alongside that as well. We recognise, if you like, we live in this fantastic, beautiful world, but we also see it's broken, and we, we acknowledge in these moments that actually only God can fix it, your kingdom come. Because as we look around the world, it's quite clear to see things are not as they should be. This is not the world 
God created and wanted us to exist in. He had other thoughts in his imagination. The bleak news agendas, Syria, Iraq, the American presidential campaigns, uh, world leaders ordering uh, murders in foreign lands. Did you read that this week? Global warming is painful and difficult. And into the pain and difficulty, into the brokenness of our lives, we are saying, your kingdom come. We know things can change. There is hope. There is a future. And that hope and future is God's kingdom. So we pray, come Lord Jesus, let your rule be over all the earth and all our lives. We're waiting for your peace in all of our lives. We're waiting for your transformation. And we ask for it to be a reality now. R.T. Kendall said, there is no higher calling, no greater goal, no greater mission. You and I are given the mandate to pray for that which is greater than politics. Remember it, it's greater than politics. Too many Christians rely on politicians to sort their lives out. We worship a God who is above that and who is greater than that. So it's greater than politics and um, uh, greater than economic success, greater than national security, that God's kingdom may come. It does not get better than that. So now... The prayer shifts. It moves away from God a little. And we get invited in this prayer to start praying for ourselves. Give us each day our daily bread, says Jesus. Now, you know, as you reflect on it, you realize this is more than just bread. This is about daily needs. This is about our humanity and what we need to thrive as human beings. This is simply asking God that we might have enough Give us enough to get by day in, day out. Now, as I look around this room, I know that most of us have more than enough. So this becomes a challenge. What is enough? It becomes more than a challenge because when we look further afield, we see that other people don't have enough. And notice this prayer is said in the plural, and it's not just about me. It says, uh, give us this day our, day, our daily bread. And I think that's a deep challenge. If someone is hungry and I have too much, there's a real challenge there. What does that mean for me? It's not just about me and my accumulation, but we're connected to everybody and we're accountable to everybody. I was very pleased to see that Amazon have to pay that 100-odd million's worth of tax quite right too because they're connected to everybody and somehow we need to all be connected and people can't take more than their fair share we somehow have to work it out I was very struck last night standing here speaking to somebody at soul food when somebody told me that they hadn't eaten for three days as we pray this prayer we pray very much for ourselves but also we pray for something much more. We pray for God to give us bigger hearts, greater generosity, and help us to be part of a world which shares rather than just completely takes for itself. The thing I love about this prayer of Jesus, as we pray for daily bread, it invites us to pray for our whole person as well. It gives us the opportunity to bring everything to God, all of our issues, all of our needs, all of our hopes, all of our wants. And we simply say to God, can you help us to meet our needs, our daily needs? The Lord's Prayer, if you like, brings us back into rhythm where we live our lives day by day, where we don't just dwell on the regret of the past and things not working out, or that fear we've got of going into the future, but we just stop right now and think about life 
right now. And day by day, we are given the opportunity to ask for enough. Not too little, not too much, but enough. Our daily bread. It gets us to trust that God can do it, rather than trying to work it all out ourselves. Tom Wright says, uh, The Lord's Prayer was intended by Jesus to bind his followers closely to the agenda of his whole kingdom. The Lord's Prayer was intended by Jesus to bind his followers closely to the agenda of his whole ministry. So we get that with the daily bread. But also we get that particularly in the next sort of uh, phrase of the Lord's Prayer. And uh, that is all about forgiveness. It strikes me that Jesus was completely perfect and he didn't need any forgiveness at all, and yet this was his prayer. But I think it reveals the centrality of his agenda by putting at the heart of his prayer when he says, forgive us our sins, for, I love this version, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Let me tell you, forgiveness is what it's all about. The reason I stand here today is because I am forgiven. I can remember when I was 18 when I fully experienced the forgiveness of God and it completely transformed my life and I was overwhelmed with God's grace and his immense love for my life. And when I pray this prayer, every day I'm reminded of God's forgiveness in my own life and I am so grateful for that. Christians are forgiven people. And this idea lies at the heart of our prayer. And because of the tension of the now and not yet kingdom, whilst we are completely forgiven by Jesus if we follow him, we too go on asking forgiveness because we still sin. Well, I still sin. I'm sure you do as well. And we still are broken and we are still works in progress. So we keep close to God by acknowledging to him day by day the dark side of us as humans. And we acknowledge that this dark side can constantly be dealt with by God because that is what he does. And he wants to release us from the burden of sin. Yet this isn't just God's job. It's our job too. If we've been forgiven, simply put, we become forgivers too. There's no debate about it. It's part of the deal. It's how forgiveness works. As recipients of God's grace, we're invited to participate and offer grace too. And we don't let somebody else's sin dominate our life, but we forgive in our hearts. And this part of the prayer enables us to really reflect on grace and God's goodness. It helps us to see that forgiveness is costly because sometimes it is so incredibly hard to do. Sometimes it's impossible. Somebody has made me really angry this week. They don't even know they've made me angry. And in a way, they've made me angry inadvertently because they didn't make me angry by speaking to me myself, but by speaking to somebody else I know. And that person then told me, it's nobody in this room. Well, I don't think it's anyone in this room. But because um, I don't know who they are. But, um, and I'm completely, I'm completely cross about it. I'm seething. Jenny will tell you what, I'm seething about, about something uh, this week. But actually this prayer just tells me I have to say, forgive them, Lord. I have to say in my heart, actually, I forgive them. My blood pressure went up, now it's gone down. Um, and the Lord's prayer gives us the framework to work forgiveness through and allows us 
to get on God's gender. I've, I've skirted this. This is such a major issue. And, and it's, it might be picked up a bit in the sermon series, but just forgive me. We could go in much deeper there. But uh, just remember we have a God of second chances, of new starts, of forgiveness. And this is completely ours. In the final part of this prayer, Jesus simply prays, and lead us not into temptation. This could simply be said as, give us the strength Give us the strength to keep on going, to keep on moving forward. When I feel like sinning, give us the strength to move on from it and not to give in to the sin. Give me the endurance, Lord, when my faith is being tested. Help me not to get, give up when everyone else seems to be giving up or life seems to be falling uh, apart around me. Help me to keep on moving forward when things are so heavy to bear and are on top of us. Help me to keep trusting, Lord, even when it feels as though you are not there. So much more to say, but that's for another time. But this prayer is simply a model and an inspiration. I dare say, if we took this prayer seriously, culture of prayer here would be transformed radically. It becomes a wonderful framework for us to start and develop and mature a prayer life because it covers all bases. If you think about it, it's an invitation to go know God more deeply and to develop our relationship with him. It says that the whole world can know God's holiness and can know the wonder of God. And it encourages us to sort of reach out with that love. Within it are kingdom values. These are the things which shape us, and it gets us to reflect day by day on what those kingdom values are. It reminds us that God can meet our needs. We can bring before God all of who we are, all our needs, all our wants, and he can be in the middle of them. It tells us that we can experience and be known for forgiveness and new beginnings. And it also encourages us that God's strength is with us to keep going, uh, even when life is really tough. I think reflecting on things like this day by day will bring transformation to our lives. And we won't be shy about our prayer, but we'll be happy about our prayer. Prayer is simple. The only thing we need to do is begin. And maybe seven minutes a day on the Lord's Prayer might be a start. God bless you as you work it out.